Happy Friday, everybody. How you living? How you feeling? It is the Crossing Broadcast, May 19th. Adam Lefko, Kyle Scott, Russell Joy. Hope you guys are doing well at home. Uh, the five-star reviews keep coming in. Uh, I'll just say good morning to you both. How you feeling? Doing well. Morning, I think think I will be echo-free today. I've changed recording location, so uh, hopefully that complaint goes away. I've been uh, told that in our sound check that I am very quiet, which I've never been referred to as in my entire life. So this is this is this is something for a Friday. We're working on it. We're working on it. Jay Towalski wants me to say this is Gene Simmons from Kiss. That was one of our just wanted me to say that. Uh, that's one of them. Uh, and then another one we got was from Seabot. And they ask, in what order would you rank your favorite Philly sports teams? Uh, let's get Russ out of the way because it's going to be fucking weird. And I, I don't <laughs> know half the teams he's going to say. Oh, the man, kids. come on. Number I mean, one okay. number one is the Philadelphia Union. No, they might be like number two. So, all right. My mine changed by season though because like I I, I like no historically no, all at the same time I well see I say that they change by season because I I get more into different teams you know seasonally so like at this Gun point to your head. Gun to it's, your head. all right si- let's go let's go Sixers Union Sixers are number one yeah wow. Sixers Sixers Union Flyers Eagles Phillies right now when Eagle season kicks up the Eagles jump. But as of right now, like what teams am I most focused on? Sixers, Union, Flyers, Eagles, Phillies. Wow. That's fascinating. I've never met somebody with that ranking. You probably never will ever again. Uh, I'll answer it honestly, unlike Russ. Um, Like, look, yeah, it changes throughout the course of the season and and certainly right now what's going on. But historically, gun to head, I go Phillies one, Flyers two, Eagles three, Sixers four. Um, but again, wow. I'm, I'm total four for four and those things change. Like right now, obviously most interested in into the Sixers and the Phillies are way on the back burner, but growing up Phillies and Flyers were, were kind of my one and one and one a wow. And I thought I was weird going Eagles, Sixers, Phillies, Flyers. And, and apparently no, I, I wasn't even halfway there. Uh, anything with Eagles first been- is. None of totally us went with the uh, reigning Arena Bowl champion Philadelphia Soul. Okay. What? That should right. be the last time they're uh, discussed on today's podcast. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, one guy that I think believes that LeGarrette Blunt should be paying for the Philadelphia Soul is Kyle Scott, who has been reacting to LeGarrette Blunt as, as though he's been an abject failure before he's even stepped on the field. Every time there's a tweet praising the Eagle sign of LeGarrette Blunt. There's crossing broad on your timeline going, this is going to end poorly. I believe he wants to make bets already saying that he's not going to get past what week four. Uh, Kyle, I'll let you have the floor. Why do you not like LeGarrette Blunt to the Eagles? Because I know that Russell and I disagree. All right. So first of all, I'll, I will admit up front, I'm being totally irrational about this. And sometimes you just have a take and you got to let someone have it. OK, so I get that on paper, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Here's my my issue. It's I don't have an issue with the deal. It's what, one point two five million. It's it's a super low risk deal. So there's no issue from that standpoint. I think the initial report was like two point eight or something, which had threw me for a little bit more of a loop. But deal is fine. I don't get any of the excitement around it. I don't. Th- I just don't think Legarrette Blunt is good. He he was 
his stat over a thousand yards and eighteen touchdowns with the Patriots last year. Total system running back. Bill Belichick is the sort of guy who turns a lacrosse player into the star of the AFC Championship. Deion Lewis, he builds a game plan around Deion Lewis in the wild card round. LeGarrette Blunt really didn't factor in much despite a number of carries in their playoff run. Um, he had 12 touchdowns from the one-yard line, so those the touchdown numbers are super skewed. And a lot of people think he's like this big bruiser, the guy who's going to come in on third and one and fourth and one and solve all the Eagles' short yardage situations. He will definitely help in that regard, but I, I think Philly people have a different view of him. One, because he's heavy, and two, because his name is Blunt. It, he just sounds like a bruiser. I don't think he's that player. He, his, his best asset is actually his speed for his size in space. He's kind of a dynamic guy for a big guy and with the Patriots where you had a, a passing game that you had to keep defenses super honest he was able to get to the second level on multiple occasions and snap off quite a number of big runs last year I just think it a guy rushes for over a thousand yards and 18 touchdowns and Bill Belichick is willing to be like nah we'll make a token offer so we get a compensatory pick that doesn't make me feel good about it and I do get the sense from the Eagles standpoint that like this, it, not that this is a dream team like move because it's not a five year deal or whatever. But I, I, I rolled my eyes as soon as I saw it because I feel like Howie Roseman and Ruben Amaro have that same disease where they grab guys from good teams who have been on national TV a lot, and they're like, "Oh, well, this is definitely going to help us." He's a thirty one year old overweight running back who's now taken out of the only system he's ever really had success in, uh, certainly over the last three and a half to four years, and that team was willing to let him walk. I'm just not so sure he's any good. And I saw Patriots fans saying, like, you're going to hate him getting tackled in the backfield. And I don't have confidence in Doug Peterson to use him correctly the way the Patriots did. And they're going to bring him in as a fullback-type player to pick up short yardage, and everyone in the stadium is going to know they're rushing. So no problem with the deal. I know I'm being irrational. I would love to be wrong. I just don't. I just think he sucks. And he, only, he was only good last year because of the team he was on, plain and simple. Go. All right, Russ, let me unpack this, if you may. Uh, so I'm going to talk about what you talked about, and then I'll get to the point. So one, about Belichick th- uh, turning lacrosse players into good players. Belichick does not put players on his team unless he believes that they have talent. Uh, the Chris Hogan story was one of the more annoying stories for me last year because he was phenomenal on Buffalo, but for some reason no one really gave a shit because he was on Buffalo. Uh, why did he just let him go? Uh, they just spent more money than they've ever spent in free agency uh, on running backs on Rex Burkhead and Mike Gillisley uh, of the Buffalo Bills, who are – four to five years younger uh, than LeGarrette Blunt, And I, I do agree with you that they he is less talented than them, but he's also never wanted to spend money in free agency before. To the fact that he had 12 of those 18 touchdowns from the one-yard line. I don't know about you, but running Darren Sproles on third and one a lot last year was like the bane of my existence being tackled by Jonathan Hankins. And in the his backfield. success rate was only six points lower than Blunt's uh, granted on fewer attempts, but you're assuming the Eagles are going to have 18 op- are going to give Blunt that many opportunities on for goal and one to go too. go ahead. There's a few things. One, 
the Ryan Matthews experiment is likely going to be over soon. I believe they saved $4 million by releasing him. And frankly, Blunt has been more reliable than Ryan Matthews. He played 16 games last year. Uh, 2015, he played like 12, but then 16, 16 before that. Um, he is really, he, I believe he is really good in short yard situations. Um, and I think the thing that I expressed the most, and you rolled your eyes to my tweet about this was LeGarrette Blount was only interested in going to teams that were Super Bowl contenders. And the fact that he believed that Philadelphia was that for me spoke more about, uh, the perception of the Eagles in the the NFL with future free agents to get Alshon Jeffrey to come here for a one year year and one year deal and the way he talked about Carson Wentz and like Garrett Blunt to come down here, you do not go to New England, figure out that they're like the only team in the NFL that gets it, and then go to a team like Philadelphia if you don't trust that. That gave me a lot of confidence moving forward from the league's perception of Carson Wentz and the team. And it was just reinforcing what Alshon said about the team. Kyle wanted but, to well, let me just I, I'll agree with that latter part, but really how many op- options did Blunt have? The Giants were interested in him. Uh, I believe there was two other teams that were that were calling. I can't remember them right now. I can look it up. It's, it's fair. I mean, I, I'm just it, to me, it's like, well, okay, yeah, you can go to Philadelphia. You're probably from day one. He is. I think Kyle. Back, the, so the, it's kind of a no-brainer for him. But I agree. Like the people come the in big, and talk highly. The about big Wentz. disagreement, Kyle, is I think that you think the perception is different. I think that you saw his is it like 1,200 yards and 18 touchdowns, and when people are going to think that he is going to be a featured back, whereas. I'm not, I don't know if Russell is, I'm looking at it and going with, they just drafted Pumphrey with the year that we have left from Sproles and what we know is capable of Smallwood in a four back backfield. I think that he is a valuable member of a power back that we haven't had in a number of years. I am not expecting him to be a 1200 yard, 18 yard touchdown guy. I'm not expecting him to be a 20 carry a game guy. But if he's getting 15 carries, other than like the one or two games where Ryan Matthews decided to be healthy and showed up, I'm I'm more comfortable about those 15 carries than I was in the past because I think it's a it's a mentality thing. I think it's a physicality thing. I do not think it's a ooh we are getting a steal. I just and I don't think there's many. I hope there's a lot of Eagles fans that are caught up in just going ooh stats. No, and, and Russ, before, I, I actually, I think it's the opposite. Uh, I, I don't think people are talking about us getting a lead back and this guy's going to put up 1,000 yards and 18 touchdowns. Most people realize that is that it had a lot to do with the team he was on last year. I think it's the opposite. The reaction I'm seeing is, all right, the Eagles got their third and one, fourth and two goal line bruiser. And what I'm saying is, yeah, LeBlunt is, is better than what we have there, so fine. But I don't think he is like the 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 solution to all of the Eagles short yardage woes and where he's actually best is as a big guy out in space. He's hurtling dudes out there. He's actually like fairly athletic, 
But those sorts of guys need to be used in a certain way. Like they just don't get to the second level on their own. And he benefited a lot last year from being on the Patriots and being able to get out into open space because they couldn't afford yeah. to load the, load the box against Brady. So I actually think it's the opposite. People think they got this like Jerome Bettis type. I, I don't think Blunt's that player, and I think that's how the Eagles are going to use him. That that's yeah, well, that's well, anyone who. Anyone who thinks us. that they're getting Jerome, uh, Jerome Bettis just hasn't watched the guy, but it's a low it's a low risk, low money signing that can pay massive dividends. And if you watch the way that he was utilized in New England, it's exactly what what Uncle Doug should be doing this season as well. Uh, you know, last year I had him but on my not. fantasy team. Good, good old Blunt. Um, I you know he played well off of James White and off of Deion Lewis when he was healthy, and it, it should be the same kind of role here. I mean, yeah, as a short yardage guy, absolutely. In a two-back set, it might make sense. And if and if he is best in the open field, then playing a two-back set and having Sproles, you know, last minute go out in motion and and play in the slot, I mean, it, it'll free up some from decent opportunities for him. There's, I, I, I hate to see people get caught up in the fact that he had 18 touchdowns last year, and then, as you said, imagine that he's now the the feature back when he won't be. I'm more interested to see what this does for Ryan Matthews at this point because the guy holds money against your cap. The guy can never stay healthy, but he is a decent running back. I, I would actually be more interested, I guess, than anything to find out from you guys what you think about uh, on game day when when you're having to come up with your active roster, which guys are actually going to be active. You have to assume one is going to be. Assuming that Ryan Matthews is healthy, how many running backs I do think you think Ryan they're going to roll out? I think Ryan yeah. Matthews is going to be cut. Uh, yeah, I think he, it's it's four million dollars they save by cutting him. He's in that part of the contract right now where it makes sense to move on from him. I don't think you go out and get someone of a relatively similar skill set. Uh, it might be a competition in camp, and we see who's healthy. I think they want it to be Ryan Matthews. I think they think Ryan Matthews is more talented, uh, but. He can't stay on the field, man, and it's it's every year of his career. And I'll, the only thing I'll say, too, about Kyle, about going, oh, it's the Patriots. Uh, the Patriots are never good in power-running situations because they sign third and fourth-round offensive linemen. I think the Eagles' offensive line is more talented than the Patriots' offensive line. They have better coaching, and like you said, it's three-step drop, so it's a lot less pressure. But if you go back and watch, like, the Houston Texans playoff game, they were in the backfield the entire game. I think that with the Eagles, so much is going to come down to the health of this offensive line, which last year was in shambles. Um, but we've talked about this before, the fact that uh, the Wisniewskis of the world, the Holly Pooley Valley Vitais, the Matt Tobins, the Isaac Samalos had to play. And now we actually get Barbara Kelsey Brooks Lane Johnson on the right. It could be a lot better. I also like that we have another name combination for Chris Long to stand next to. Now it's not just Long Cox or Long Johnson. Now we have the very rare Long Blunt, which I think will make a lot of people very excited in the city. And Kyle should be Kyle should be excited for the T-shirt possibilities. You've got didn't he say he wants his nickname to be Philly Blunt? You could oh, do Blunt, for, Blunt Force Trauma. Like, come on, there, there's a lot of potential here. What's wrong with you? 
I'm going to sell Philly Blunt, and I'm going to put a disclaimer on it and say, it's, uh, this is at your risk. There's no refunds when it goes out in week four. Look, I, I, know, I'm being, I know I'm being completely irrational. I get it. Like, just, just let me have this one, and we could revisit. And I put it on site. I say, let's just revisit in mid-October and see if we're well, all excited on. Well, then what the it, airplane as when, we are What is the number that you're going to go, oh, I was wrong? Because if he gets dinged up, you're going to call that a victory. Um. I guess it, it's going to be hard to judge in total by October, but I'll jumps? say if if by the third week of October he has three plus touchdowns, then I'll, okay. I'll give it up. I'll give it up. He's easily over three touchdowns. I don't think he. I think he scores one touchdown this year and plays in no more than six games. One this entire year. I. I whether it's injuries. Doesn't have a great camp, kind of gets relegated, doesn't get a lot of touches. I'm telling you, I, I just got a, I got a gut feeling. Let me, yeah, I know it's a I'll take. I know this is like the worst take of all time. I just don't like I don't, it. I do not think it's the worst take of all time. I think that you're having what we like to call DeMarco Murray fatigue, which is when you sign a running Fair. back after a really big year and then you go, I kind of think this is going to backfire. And I, so I totally get it. The only thing I will say is last year when the Patriots would be up, 16 to 20 points. That was the LeGarrette Blunt show. That mm-hmm. was, let's pound this team into submission and get out of here. And there was really, it was one of my most enjoyable things to watch every Sunday was LeGarrette Blunt really thoroughly enjoy bashing people at the end of games and sucking the life out of them. And it was something that I didn't think the Eagles had last year. They were awful with time management at the end of games. Surprise, surprise, Doug Peterson, Andy Reid. But... I think he's a valuable, necessary part for a team that thinks they could do something next year. Fair, fair. And I and we could all agree the contract is almost nothing. So from a risk standpoint, it's fine. So nothing. It. It's so nothing. Yeah. All right, let's get to a, another uh, – it was a uh, five-star review comment from Dickie Fats. Hey. Twitter. Twitter. Oh, Twitter. Excuse me. Yeah. Shout out to Dickie Fats. Man, these Twitter names are great. Uh, how much faith do you have in Brian Colangelo, and how bad do you think he f's up this draft? You want to go first, Russ? Uh, yeah, number one Sixers guy. I don't have a lot of faith as in Brian Colangelo as a GM, but if there's a spot that I kind of trust the guy, it's the draft. With one exception, and it was a massive one, and that was Andrea Bargnani. Outside of that, he hasn't had a terrible uh, draft history. Do I think that he's going to rely on his scouts? Yes. Do I think that there's a big enough set of of, uh, infrastructure within the organization to not screw this up? Yes. They have four second-round picks that I think, and this might get to something later that we'll discuss, but they've got four second-round picks that I think they're they're very likely to try to parlay into getting back into the first round uh, with other assets and with you know perhaps Jaleel Okafor. I think that if there's a day for Brian Colangelo to shine, it is going to be the draft. He's got the picks. He's got future assets to, to deal. Um, we'll get to trade targets and such later. But if there's one place that I, I think the guy's not going to totally screw this thing up, it's probably the draft. Uh, Sorry, I had to run and blow my nose. I apologize. No, I didn't mean to throw off Russ. <laughs> uh, I don't even think he noticed. Good, because he's a stud. Of course I did. Look, when anybody is gone, I feel a small absence. (laughs) Of course. A small void in my heart. Uh, Russ, uh, like, I I kind of... 
agree with I, I don't know how much confidence I have in Brian Colangelo. We we he has a mixed bag track record. Um what I will say is that I wish and I know we you'll certainly agree with this. I wish Sam Hinkie had been given the opportunity to now actually begin molding this cuz I think we're at a really interesting stage in the the process, the rebuild right now where you're turning they're legit turning the switch this offseason from this tank collection um, see what you have mode into let's try and build this into a team and there's different um, you know pressures they can press the pedal with um, but what happens in the draft and the offseason will really go a long way and we talked about this on the last show in determining the trajectory of the team they have four very unique and different options that they could draft and we'll talk about that in a second but they can also trade the pick up or down they can sign free agents they could trade for a veteran and each one of those moves will really have an impact on how this team takes shape. So this really is, uh, I think Derek Bodner wrote this the other day, and it was a good point. Brian Colangelo uh, is in a no-win situation right now. If he turns this into a championship-caliber team, everyone right. will still credit Sam Hinkie. If he blows mm. it, unless Embiid and Simmons just fully get hurt and everyone could kind of blame Hinkie for that, for you know reaching on these guys, especially Embiid who had injury histories, um, if he blows it, he's going to get blamed. So he's in a no-win spot, but he is really the guy who, who you know, he, he has so much impact on what he does. Nothing this offseason is obvious like it was last offseason. There's no obvious move you have to make. There's no obvious player you have to draft. It's like uh, they could go in any number of directions right now. Uh, so I'm just intrigued I, more than anything. I just want to go over really quick Brian Colangelo's track record in the draft as a GM, and then you let me know how awful you think it was. In 95, he drafted Michael Finley 21st overall. Michael Finley was was a, a two-time All-Star, played 15 years in the league. In 96, he drafted Steve Nash 15th overall. Steve Nash was maybe one of my favorite players to watch growing up, two-time MVP. And he found him in the middle of the first round. In 97, he drafted Steven Jackson 42nd overall. They didn't have a first pick, um, but getting Steven Jackson 42nd was a, was a pretty darn good pick. Yeah, in 99... In, in 99, they drafted Sean Marion. Overall, he played 16 seasons. The 2000 draft, he blew it. Uh, it was a 25th overall pick. A guy named uh, Jake Zildakis. Um, Not Jason Zildakis. That's the comedian. Uh, and in 01, he didn't have a first-round pick. It was the second round. In 2002, they drafted Amari Stoudemire, ninth overall. Had a good career. 2004, um, they, they, did, they traded their pick to the Bulls. In 2005, they drafted Nate Robinson, 21st overall. Then he goes to Toronto in 06, Andrea Bargnani, big miss, we know. 2008 drafted Roy Hibbert, 17th overall. Hibbert isn't a great player, but he was solid for mid-round. Um, DeMar DeRozan was taken 9th overall in 2009. He's a good young player. 2010 drafted Ed Davis, 13th overall. Not a great player, but not terrible. And then Jonas Valanciunas, 5th overall in 2011, who's on the rise. He's a late bloomer. In 2012, Terrence Ross, 8th overall. Jury's out on that one. What I'm saying is, if nothing else, the guy's track record hasn't been all misses. If you look at a guy like Danny Ainge, who consistently looks like he misses on players or or uses high draft picks on guys that, that don't pan out, you could have a much worse GM than Brian Colangelo in the draft. I can't believe I'm defending Brian Colangelo. No, it's okay. I think that there's the a lot of Sixers fans changed on draft night last year with Colangelo. When at 24, he took Luawu, and at 26, he took Furkan Korkmaz. 
<laughs> all of the draft. Like I remember reading the the, the diehard Sam Hinkie lovers being like, "Wow, those were the two guys that we all wanted." As it were, so I think that's when a lot of people turned around too. The only thing I'll disagree with Bodner is if Colangelo makes a trade for a big name free agent or is able to convince one to sign, that cannot. I am not going to give that to Hinky. I know that a lot of people will say, "Oh, well, he gave this the salary cap space." I don't care. That's going to Colangelo. Um, the Simmons draft pick that just kind of goes to the lottery gods. Um, I don't think he fucks it up. Uh, I, I have relative faith. Um, I think that the only way that he will, the only way that he fucks us up is if he signs a lot of money to a free agent that we don't need right now. That's, that's like the biggest issue because honestly, I know that Kyle went through and he probably watched a lot of footage of some draft guys, but we are in the crapshoot part of the draft. We are in the, okay, it's not Fultz, and it's not going to be Ball, so pick one of these five guys. Those are not guaranteed spots. Uh, so I am not going to be angry if he misses. I just, you know, I'm praising the guy that he hits. Are you guys ready to talk draft guys now? Yeah, let's go through each of them. I want to hear Kyle Scott's process. What was your process? Because you feel super prepared right now. Were you in like a dark hole Watching film on repeat, zooming in, looking at footwork and shot release. Like pants off, sweating, bowl of ice, empty box, box of ice cream next to me. No, like I'm, I have more confidence in the NBA draft uh, discussion than the NFL draft. I don't watch college football at all. So okay. when any of these guys come up, they're they're pretty much brand new to me, except for the marquee names. College basketball is a little different. I watch a decent amount of college basketball, not as much as I used to. Um, but I, I, I spent a decent amount of time during the season watching college basketball. So I'm familiar with all these guys coming in. Um, and especially cause most of them played for pretty big teams. So they were on TV a lot and stuff like that. Um, actually Fultz's team sucked, but I mean, he was the clear consensus number one here. Yeah. But hold, before you start breaking down, yeah. are we going to agree to this right now? If somehow Fultz falls guaranteed yes. pick, right? It has to be. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If Lonzo ball falls guaranteed pick or no. The, the the Ringer article yesterday convinced me that he should be. Uh, I don't think it's the stone-cold lock guarantee the way Fultz would be, but I would say, yeah, if he falls, the Sixers should probably What about him. that article made you feel so convinced? I just like, I mean, like, look, I, I, I would have probably said that beforehand, but um, I'm trying to think what they said that just kind of finally sold me on it. Um, like his ability to play with, with Simmons, they made a really good point in there. I don't know what that fit with Simmons looks said. like. Let me look it up. Hold on. Well, they're both amazing I, passers. He can shoot, so it spreads the floor more. Uh, they, he has really good size as well at 6'5", to defend other positions, even though I don't find him to be that great of a defender. But he's very talented. Uh, his usage rate. His, I, his, I didn't realize his usage rate was only 18.1 at UCLA. I actually thought it was much higher. Um, gotcha. And that was kind of my concern with playing with someone like Simmons, who – you don't know how much he's going to have the ball in his hands, but if they're going to try and turn him into a point guard, my my um, vision of Lonzo Ball was as was of a guy. I know he passed a lot, but he was kind of. It seemed like the ball was always in his hands, and maybe that's just when you're watching him, you're kind of drawn to him, and he looks and plays different. So I was surprised how low his usage rate was, and feel a little bit better about him with Simmons. But I Let's think we start could off. 
we could agree that him and Fultz are almost, I don't want to say almost certainly, but most likely going one, two. Kind of like what happened with Okafor. When Okafor fell to us, I was like, well, we got to take him because yeah. we weren't expecting him to be here at number three. I got to uh, say, but- though, if he if he falls past L.A., besides the schadenfreude that I'll be feeling to watch LeVar Ball ball his eyes out um, when the Lakers pick someone else, that would give me massive pause. I know that he's a consensus top two pick, but if Los Angeles of all the teams – Led by Magic Johnson, who knows what point guards are supposed to look like. I'm not giving if Magic they, Johnson credit for anything. Look, <laughs> he can identify a decent point guard, right? I, I think don't we should know. be able to for, agree on that. Well, how do you know? But that? listen, here's, Magic Johnson, here's my oh, Magic Johnson thought. Um, man, he had some really bad tweets. I'm trying to think about people that were going to be stars and completely flamed out. Let me just say, if they pass on him, that's a major red flag. And then I don't think this is as as simple of a of a choice as we want to make it. But that said, he's not falling past two. Let's talk about the guy that's like okay. the hottest on everyone's boards right now, and that's Josh Jackson. And the Kyle Scott review is what? All right, so I, I you know I, I fell down the wormhole, I crawled out, and now like I'm, I have one foot back in, mostly because I think this is the guy the Sixers are going to wind up with. Josh Jackson, super athletic. Classic NBA athletic wing sort of player. Um, he His shot is not horrific, and there's a lot of thought that he can uh, turn it into a respectable NBA shot. But right now, his shot is absolutely his weakness. His three-point percentage went up as the season went on, but part of that was because defenses were like really sagging off him, like seven feet just trying to guard against his drive, and he was hitting some wide-open three-pointers. That said, he hit almost at 50% on the limited ones he took in the second half of the season. So um, his shot is definitely the concern, but he is crazy, crazy athletic. And the reason you probably have to take him at three is because he clearly has the highest upside of any of the guys who are going to be available here. He can play well above the rim, like like top of the backboard level. Defensively, he is super active. He's long. He's quick. Watching him get steals in college and come down the court and throw down a dunk reminded me a little bit of the way AI played defense. Granted, different position, different type player. I also think his release on his like dribble-drive pull-up shot also kind of looks like AI. He reminds me, not that he's this good, but he has this sort of like crazy athletic skill set, not wholly unlike AI, not so much with the handle, but this like a, a next level physical ability to get, uh, you know, to get his points. Um, so he's really exciting in that regard. But again, doesn't have a great shot. And I would look at a guy like David Jones or Davy Jones, who writes for Penn Live. That dude watches a lot of college basketball. Uh, he's, he attends a lot of college basketball. He covers both local and national. And he had a, some concerns about Josh Jackson's character. I know he had some off-the-court issues. Um, and his concern was he's going to be the sort of NBA player who comes in super talented, super athletic, but always frustrates coaches and never really fully realizes his potential. Uh, so that gives me a little bit of pause, too, in addition to his shot. But uh, I wouldn't hate the Sixers taking him. He's super talented. I don't think he's the best fit. Uh, he's probably the third best fit of the four guys they could potentially take for the Sixers As right we now. enter draft season, I recommend that you all get the Michael Lewis book, The Undoing Project. He's the guy that wrote Moneyball. He's the guy that wrote Blindside. And the first chapter is about Daryl Morey and the way that they assess the brain of a player and the way they assess the way they will develop and will they flow, <laughs> excuse me, flame out and disappoint. If he can't figure it out, 
No offense to the dude that writes for Penn Live. I could give two shits if he thinks that he's going to flame out. Like, he's never met the kid, probably. He's never talked to him. I just, when I hear guys like, I actually think he has. He has actually interviewed him on a few occasions. Yeah, but, okay, well, actually, it's funny because Daryl Morey says that it's actually uh, less helpful to meet them uh, in person because there's no answer that's going to be, like, they study, like, every word and all that. I just... He he looks like someone that's going to flame out. I just think Philadelphia is such an interesting situation with the with Embiid and Simmons and Brett Brown and losing that I just don't see anyone coming in and getting a big head at all. Uh, let's stay then with I'm just going to run through Kyle's takes really quick. Jason Tatum, that's the other one that I see a lot of three. So, and then me pro- and me and Russ will talk afterwards about each guy. Okay, fine. Um, so I think Jason Tatum is probably got the most ready scoring game, right? NBA ready scoring game, really good from the triple threat position, has a decent, though not great, three-point shooter. Um, But he's an isolation player, and his game is the sort that will translate very well to the NBA. I think most people were comparing him to a Danny Granger-type player, um, which which is good. Like, I, I don't think... Uh, anyone would have a problem taking a guy like that. Would he fit on the Sixers in terms of position? Yeah, in terms of their style of play. To me, he sounds like a like he's one and a half positions removed from Jaleel Okafor, um, where he, he kind of needs the ball in his hands a little bit for isolation to really make anything happen and can kind of slow down an offense or turn himself, become a little bit of a black hole for him to get his. Um, again, doesn't play the same position as Okafor, but I think that might be the way Sixers fans would view him. Like, oh shit, like this, the ball gets dumped down to this guy and it's, it's going towards the basket one way or another. That said, his game is definitely NBA ready. He's not the best athlete of the group. That's not to say he's unathletic. I got some shit in the comments for this the other day, but he's not the, he is certainly not Josh Jackson or De'Aaron Fox. He doesn't have any sort of elite athleticism or one particular skill. He's just going to be a really good, well-rounded NBA. NBA, uh, you know, wing, small forward type player. All right, let's go to De'Aaron Fox. So, all right, so this is the guy I'm getting, I'm slowly selling myself on, and I think some some of the hardcore Sixers fans are too. Let's get this out of the way. Cannot shoot. Unlike his teammate Malik Monk, who we'll talk about in a second, who was the shooter, Fox has a, a horribly broken shot at this point. He was really bad. There's not a lot of confidence that he's ever going to become a even good NBA shooter, let alone a great one. So that is the that is the red flag on a team that needs shooter. That's shooters. That said, there's a lot of people who think he could have been a potential number one pick, even if he had a somewhat average shot. He's that athletic. He's that quick. He's that much of a natural point guard and distributor. Um, most people seem to think he has a pretty good head on his shoulders out of all these guys. Um, he's just like super quick and athletic. And if you could stomach the Sixers taking a guy who also can't shoot, I'm most excited about him because of the guards. He might have the highest pure ceiling or might be one in one a with Fultz. And then you mentioned Monk, who is, uh, who is the pure shooter of this group? Monk, yeah, Monk is a Monk is straightforward. He's a really good shooter. He can get his off the quick bounce. He's not an isolation guy. There was a stat. Uh, I guess this was from Draft Express. Ten. He's only only ten percent of his possessions in college were either in isolation or the pick and roll. Um, so he's, part of his game might not translate super well to an NBA offense. That said, dead eye shooter, tremendous range. He's streaky, but not in a way where he goes like super cold and super hot. More in that. 
He's a really good shooter who can get torrid hot kind of way and put up 48 against North Carolina this year, which is ridiculous. Uh, he could get it on a couple of bounces. He can get and play above the rim. He threw down some nasty dunks. Granted, most of those were completely in the open court in college against subpar competition. But the dude is just a shooter and a scorer, and he was described as being an elite role player, not necessarily a superstar, and probably not the guy you want to get at three. You don't want to be drafting a role player at three. That said, the Sixers have so many lottery picks that I can, like, talk myself into them just drafting for need at this point. But if they really want Monk and think they need a shooter, I'm all for him. But they could probably hold Jackson hostage for the Suns or Kings and trade back a couple picks and maybe get the Kings, uh, as crazy as this would be, take the Kings' pick and then their 10th pick and and keep collecting uh, those assets. But I like Monk a lot. Just They'd be reaching for him at three. Yeah, my guy Dan, that's – that's his favorite guy. He just says three-point shooting is the most valuable skill in the NBA, and this guy has it, and mm-hmm. he's worried about the other guys not having the skill that we're seeing being so important. Rush, you hear Kyle go through all that. Uh, what makes you feel giddy on the inside? That was a lot to uh, to unpack. Yeah, I think um, Kyle did a good job, though. Good so, job. Well done, I'm going to pass out now. I'm just going to black you out. You are a really floor. useful engine. Um, so Josh Jackson is going to be everybody's – everybody's favorite to talk about right like he's he's consensus number three kind of but i'm not exactly sold on him i think his legal issues that he had aren't going to prevent the sixers from going after him i don't think that they're they're going to be a a major storyline in all of this but it's it's like i guess one little thing to keep in mind um jackson's an okay player to me If, if they end up drafting him there fine whatever it's okay i don't want jason tatum out of fear of kind of what Kyle said about the, the Okafor thing, I also just have Evan Turner-itis. If I hear that a guy is not an elite athlete uh, coming into the NBA who already has a polished offensive game, I get shades of Evan Turner, and I want nothing sounds to do like, with the Sounds player. like Derek Barnett. Yeah, and I, that was actually what I was going to say next. Um, I would rather, and I know that we didn't talk about him, I would rather go after a guy like Jonathan Isaac not at three. This is a trade back. I'd rather go after a potential boom player that has massive upside, whose jumper is inconsistent but could be reworked. I would rather go after a kid who's got a, a 7-1 wingspan, who's still growing at 6-11, who's a decent ball handler, can rebound the ball well enough. I'd rather go for the big boom potential on a Jonathan Isaac than I ever would on a supposedly polished offensive game of Jason Tatum. We've seen how this how this works playing out of the post. We've seen how it works when you get the guy who's the best offensive player out of the top two. It doesn't work for this team. Yeah, and you I, can't draft a center. Huh? You, just, you can't draft a center. I mean, I who's, guess with who's Nero a center. Was- no, Jonathan Isaac is not a center. Jonathan Isaac is a fine. I don't a, need a six eleven guy. Why not? If he's if he's got decent defensive ability and he's got quick feet, which is what the scouting reports Hold on, say, you he talked does. to me last week. You talked on Wednesday, both of you guys, about wanting to start building a team. Yeah, we need to go guard. This no, is no, the guard no. draft. I'm not Hold leaving on. the guard See, draft with a power forward. Nope, because now you're you're losing sight of what this team needs to actually do over the next few years. Oh, here You've comes got the that process truth. No, no, no. It's that's not what this <laughs> has to be. I just don't think you guys are looking at this rationally. If if the yeah, but best Jonathan player Isaac isn't as good as Josh listen, Jackson. If the 
if you think that his potential is better and he's going to play a combo forward spot for you and you make the decision eventually that you don't want to sign Robert Covington to to what might be a $20 million a year deal and he can fit in oh, and he well, I'm just saying it's it a three and Robert D guy. Getting that listen, from no one. Adam, I'm telling you, a three and D guy is going to go for a lot more in this market in in this kind of a cap situation than you might want him to go. That's Robert how a guy Robert. like Lowry's going to get 35 million. All right, like this is not totally unheard of. So if I'm looking for a guy that's going to replace him, if I'm looking for a guy who's got decent upside at a combo forward position, it's Isaac. And that doesn't mean that that you're wrong about not getting a guard. But the last time I checked, Josh Jackson isn't a guard. He was a small forward in college. He probably isn't going to be a guard. What you need to think about is, one, if you're going to make a signing of Kyle Lowry, the whole thing is is moot. If you're not going to, you have, and I, I don't trust this guy, but you've got Jared Bayless on a contract for another year. He can be your placeholder at an off-ball guard until you figure out what you have in Ben Simmons as a ball handling point forward. Additionally, next year you've got that Lakers pick, which should still be a really good pick. There's no guarantee that that based on where that Lakers pick ends up, that there won't be a, a solid guard available. No I'm not playing that game. But see, We're I just always kicking the fucking can. Yeah, but I think it's irresponsible to say let's let's draft a guy based on positional need if he's not there. Do you really want to? No, <laughs> Josh Jackson is closer to guarding guards and I believe is more talented and a better player than trading down to get this like power forward center guy on a team with with Dario and MB. I just there's you I like you you're talking about it like Jonathan Isaac is guaranteed to be great. No, I'm saying that if you're going to make a pick at the number three spot and it's not definitive. This isn't like Wade, Mello, and LeBron are all coming out, and you'd be an idiot to pass someone and be the, the Pistons drafting Darko. It's not the same situation. What is that sound? Is the, uh, that was Kyle uh, decompressing okay. before he goes. I'm just saying. That's exactly what that was. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't want them to mess this pick up, but number three is not a guarantee. I think Josh Jackson is a lovely player. I think if you're going to draft him, it's not going to be a, a huge issue. I'm just saying, I don't want this team to, to crowbar themselves into a position where you draft a guy who's not <clears throat> going to be worthy of the number three pick, and oh. who's going. you're going to see somebody's potential. Well, hold on. And you're gonna, yeah, and you're that, that's why because, this is so funny, like because of all the guys... <clears throat> Josh Jackson is the potential player. Absolutely. Like he's the one that has the highest ceiling above everybody else. I think it's between him and Isaac. Okay. All right. So let me, I, I, I want you to, I want to get your thoughts on the other guys, but I like, I'm going to try and find the words that I think Adam lost somewhere in there. The six, you have to turn the page at a certain point. They don't need another really big guy. What you are in such hinky, process kicking the can down the road mindset that it's almost a little bit scary at this point you have to acknowledge that this what the the fruits of the process have yielded and i feel like i'm talking in game of zone speak here um what was it the fruits of uh the fruits of the labor um but what it has yielded is ben simmons and joel Embiid, and you have to decide these two guys are the cornerstone this is what we have we spent five years and dario but these are the two and even Colangelo described, described them as the two pillars, and he called Saric a supporting wall. Um, okay. This is what you have. 
let's build out a team around this. So when you say we shouldn't draft for need, I'm like, I almost fell out of my chair. I agree that there is some wiggle room here. And is Josh Jackson really what they need? He's, he's more of a forward. He's definitely a forward rather than a guard, but he could guard guards in the NBA. Um, is he what they need exactly? No, but is he a really good player in a position that they don't necessarily have a player? Uh, yeah, and could he be a, a superstar type player? Yeah, so you take him there. But I, I don't, I don't like the Isaac idea of taking a big guy and then having too many big guys and still not having any adequate wings or guards. All these guys are going to have some sort of trade off, and I don't think the trade off needs to be we're just drafting on upside at this point. You have to start turning the page. I just and as we talk about building around Joel Embiid, oh boy. let us now take a moment, oh. a moment of silence for Joel Embiid's legs. Thank you very much. See, I thought you were going to say. See, I thought you were going to say there was a tweet that he was injured. That's it, and the whole, I, so this is where so Russ scared. comes in and goes. See, that's why we need Isaac. No, it's not why we need Isaac, but that's why I think you guys are are wrong and it's okay like this is maybe the one time that i'm going to be really passionately just diametrically opposed to what you guys think joel Embiid is is a transcendent generational player if he's healthy and there is no guarantee we do a freaking moment of silence because we don't know that he's going to be healthy so a guy like josh jackson can be a star like it's if you take a josh jackson or somehow are able to trade up and and trade for faults which i think we should also talk about in a sec but if you could do that, like you might have two potential superstars in Simmons and that player. And that's the whole point of the process. You give yourself Josh, some, here it is, no, optionality, you have three Jackson, guys. If Josh Jackson were legitimately being considered a future star player, a generational talent, a transcendent player, he wouldn't be number three. He can't shoot, that's why. Well, no, I mean, people believe well, okay, that Fultz, so, people believe that Fultz and Ball are better. How many times do the Sixers need to draft a guy that can't shoot that we want to, you know, play project with? I'm not arguing for Josh Jackson. I I don't think that should be. I think it will be, but I don't think that's the best fit for them. I'm just saying. Go ahead. I'm going to take this into a different direction because we need to keep advancing it. And to be honest, we have another few weeks where we'll be debating this. So we don't need to get all of our juice out in the first squeeze. Darth underscore Doug. Would you be willing to part with two future first round picks for Fultz? Or is that too much? So let's say the Sixers gave up a third pick in the draft, and he says two future first-round picks. So I'm assuming, what, Sixers next year and Lakers next year or Sixers two years from now because we have the Kings pick. Would you be willing to give up with two future first-rounders for Fultz? Uh, Russ is shaking his head, so I'll let him go first. I, If you are talking about giving up the Sixers picks in future drafts, yes. Because, I, like I said before, I think the Sixers are going to make the playoffs next year. Oh, yeah, 20 and, months. And so I think if you're talking about trading a mid-round pick next year, that's fine. You can trade that one away. I don't want to get rid of this Lakers pick because I think they're going to be trash. And I, don't, I certainly do not want to trade that Sacramento pick because Sacramento is always trash. So if we're talking about are we going to trade this year's first round, next year's first round, Sixers pick, and then a future first, sure. I don't want to trade the Lakers pick, and I don't want to trade Sacramento's pick. I do think this is where we get into that. Jaleel Okafor doesn't have much value, um, but he can score out of the post. And there are some teams that still want a, tra- a traditional low-post score. If if packaging Jaleel and a few of those four second-round picks, some of which are earlier in the second round, can get you into the late first round, and that becomes part of a package where it's this year's first, next year's Sixers' first, this later first round pick this year 
and then maybe a future pick, sure. Give them the option for a pick swap next year with the Sixers or a pick swap the following year or a pick swap in 2020. That's fine. But for the love of all things good, call me a hinky truther all you want. You've you've waited too long for this Lakers pick and you've waited too long for the Sacramento pick to trade them as part of a, a move up for Fultz. I'm, I don't disagree. Those things are great to have, and I'm not saying you should just get rid of them all willy-nilly. Um, so I don't completely disagree with you there, but I I believe Fultz is, and and most people seem to believe, that Fultz is the can't-miss, surefire, superstar guard in this draft. He's he's very well-rounded. Um, I mean, there's, there's really nothing not to like about his game. Everyone thinks he could be, uh, has maybe not the highest ceiling of the guys in this draft, but is the, the surefire guard. He is, he is what the Sixers need. He can handle the ball and shoot. Um, I think if there's any way for them to get him, you do it. It's going to take a lot. It might take two future first. I really don't care which ones they are. are it, would it be better if they were the Sixers? Yeah. But again, very few teams, maybe no teams ever, have gotten the number of consecutive lottery picks and first-round picks the Sixers have gotten and will have gotten after the next couple of seasons. And you don't, part of the reason for having them is giving you the flexibility to maybe overspend to move up and take a guy who not only fits need, but has upside at the, as the number one pick in the draft. So I think you do pretty much anything you can to get a guy like Fultz. You're still going to have first round picks over the next couple of seasons. And oh, by the way, now you have three potential all-star type players on your team one of whom is a ball handling forward, the other two other is a freak center, and the other guy is a is a point guard. I don't think you can go wrong with that. So I think you do whatever you can to get faults. Uh, is it too much? Yeah, for most teams, but the Sixers have so many assets and first round and lottery picks going backwards and forwards. I think you do whatever you take to get faults. That said, I what I think the Sixers will do. And what probably makes a little bit more sense, rather than give up the entire farm, um, is tr- is take trade back and take Monk or take Fox. I, I think both of those guys are really good players to take anywhere between three and five. I think if Russ were um, if Russ were to power rank his favorite Sixers, he would put Embiid one, he put Simmons two. And then he would put a jersey on the Lakers pick that we've had and be like, that's my that's my third favorite player on the Sixers is that Lakers pick. You're the worst. I love you. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I know that, Rush, you went through and, and looked up what it would take to trade for a big-time vet. Um, what are the names? What, what are some things that you came across kind of digging into that? This is where we take my third favorite player, the Lakers pick, and my fourth favorite player, the Sacramento pick, and I say – if now you're if, ready to get rid of them, listen, if you're going to do it, you're getting yourself a, a young player who's going to grow with the team and has already proven they can do it. And my number one target would be Chris Stapps Porzingis. I know New York isn't going to trade him. I know that there's a very minimal likelihood. But Phil Jackson has run that team into the ground so badly at this point that at some point. James Dolan and and his ownership group or, or his front office hey, is, is happened, going to have I'd to think. They are going to have to think about how they're going to get themselves out from under what Phil Jackson's done. For those who don't remember, Chris Stapps Porzingis blew off his meeting with both Phil Jackson and the GM to go back to Latvia to play for the Latvia national team this summer, which the Knicks did not want him to do. So not only is he blowing off 
meetings, he's also going directly against what the organization told him to do. If I'm the Sixers, I'm doing just about anything I can to get Porzingis. He is, if nothing else, he's a fantastic backup insurance policy for if and when Joel goes oh, out. No, they could play misses. No, no, I know. That's I'm getting there. He is he is a fantastic option in the event that Joel is out on the second night of back-to-backs again, if and when he gets injured again in short spurts. If, God forbid, something does happen and he goes down for the rest of the season, he can slide right in at center. He can play the powered forward spot right next to him. And the, the ability that Porzingis has to stretch the floor for Embiid and to stretch the floor to create space for Ben Simmons and whatever pick you get this year cannot be overstated. So if it's me, and this is just me, I would I would back up the truck and I would drop. I know that you're you're trading to a rival uh, in in your division. I know you're. Yeah, I just you're, don't want to giving it to an Eastern Conference team, Russ. I just don't want to shoot your entire wad on Porzingis because I kind of feels like a pipe dream. Like it would be great. But who who are some of the other people that you think are, are reasonable too? I, because the, I would love Porzingis. I just I don't know if it, I just. You know, I, I told Russ to come up with some reasonable trade scenarios, and he, he throws out Porzingis first. So well done. No, but I, I look actually. I don't know. I love it. I, well, I don't have a, a barometer has to on be if fired. that's possible. I don't have a barometer on if that's possible, but I do like your your thinking there. And I, it's it's probably not the complete craziest thing in the world. So that's uh, again, that's me backing up the truck. But at some point, like I said, that owner that owner has to think about his team. I know that he hasn't had a good track record as an owner, but. My God, they've got nothing left. And once they get rid of Mello for peanuts on the dollar, like what are they going to have left? Just Chris Stapps. And what, the eighth pick this year? I mean, if you're giving them a legit option to take the even the number three pick this year as part of a package for Porzingis, you do it. I don't um, know. Because, would, because, because he's, the guy. He's, in his, he's in his early 20s. Uh, he's he's not up for a contract right now. Like He he would be a an, a, an exceptional, oh, sold. Sold. A, a transcendent thing. So, yeah, you okay. don't have to convince Other guys, us. Yeah. Paul George... Uh, here's an interesting thing about yeah, we, Paul George. Brian Winkler. Hold on, time out, time out, time out. Before what? you go through Paul George, g- can you give me the list? Yeah, so we got Paul George, Jimmy Butler, and I had Porzingis. Like, those those were, like, my three guys that that are those always in. Those guys are backing up and you're dumping off the no, Kings. No, 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 they're at varying uh, levels. LeBron James. Porzingis, Porzingis is my only back up the truck and, and, and just dump everything, too. Um, Paul George, I would have been interested in, and Jimmy Butler, I of course would be interested in, but there are a couple of issues that you're going to run into. Jimmy Butler made one of the all NBA teams, which means that whatever team that he's on, assuming that you were ever hoping that he would get to free agency, um, they're going to be able to offer him the super max. Um, he made the, where are we at? I know he made, uh, he made the all NBA third team, which sets him in super max mode, uh, for his team. Paul George did not make any of the All-NBA teams, which works uh, a little bit in your favor if you're trying to acquire him. Um, Now, Paul George, of course, is going to be a free agent, I believe, in 2018. So you're getting him for a year. And obviously, as part of any deal, you're going to want to uh, have a guarantee that he's going to sign long term. Is he going to give that to you? Probably not. Do I think the Lakers are, are likely to try to make a play for him, even including their number two pick? Yeah, because you'd be stupid not to. Um... Now, if it's me, I, I'm worried uh, at least a bit that if you don't go out and try to acquire a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler, they could end up in your division. They can end up in your conference. My worst case scenario is that Boston goes out and signs Gordon Hayward, who they have been long rumored to be absolutely fixated on. They get Hayward, and then 
they used some of their assets thanks to the fantastic GM Billy King and his great trade. Um, and and they back up the truck to acquire Jimmy Butler. Then you've got a team that, yeah, LeBron's going to be great for however many years yet. But my God, if you're if we've been banking on hitting the timeline for right after LeBron is at the end of his career, and you've got a Boston team that's got Hayward, Isaiah Thomas, and uh, Jimmy Butler, you're you're in a you're going to be hurting for a few years. I mean that that'll be a legitimate rivalry between the Sixers and the Celtics, but it certainly doesn't put you in that you know. Uh, spot to accept the crown after the king rides off into the sunset. So uh, to recap, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, you can put together a decent package for them. I'm not sure how realistic it is. I don't necessarily think that the Sixers are going to be in on either guy. Um, I think, again, Kyle will be excited. I think it's much more likely they just go the big money, easy short-term route, and they go after Kyle Lowry. I don't understand the recent speculation about J.J. Redick. That was that was like the one thing that just doesn't make sense to me. From a from a fit perspective, it does for stretching the floor, having a decent guard who can knock down shots, spread the floor. Like same idea that you would go high high uh, high value in the first year of a deal or even the second year of a deal. Um, and maybe maybe JJ Redick would make more money here in those first two years than anywhere else. But I think we're looking more in free agency. I I don't think that any of these trades are are likely. I don't think that any of them are going to happen. Like Isn't I said, Redick, if, if they're Redick gonna, is a free agent, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I think if anything's going to happen, if anybody's actually going to move, Paul George, maybe on draft night, goes to the Lakers if they do offer up number two, because Indiana would be stupid not to take a package you know, centered around that, especially if they really do fear that Paul George is going to go to the Lakers after next season. Though then again, everybody's been rumored to be going to the Lakers every offseason, and none of it has actually ever happened. So... Um, there's that. And I think Jimmy Butler, if he's going to go anywhere, is going to go to Boston, not to Philadelphia. So again, we come back to my pipe dream of Chris Stapp's Porzingis back up the truck and let's do this thing. If Butler goes to Boston, that could potentially mean the Sixers being part of a three team deal for Fultz. No, for the number one pick. I mean, that, that seems to be popular conjecture because wait, why? Because you would think that as part of that deal, that number one pick has to be going to Chicago. I mean, okay. what else? What else would Boston be sending to to acquire Jimmy Butler? I mean, you could make the argument that they're going to still be cashing in on that Brooklyn deal. So then maybe next year's, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I well, don't. Say, in that scenario, I don't, I don't the Sixers see. are sending a bunch to Chicago. I might be so far. Like, so if, okay, so if Chicago. All right, so let's play that game. So Philly sends the number three pick. And a boatload of other assets to Chicago. Chicago sends three pick, Jimmy Butler, a future to, one, Okafor, something yeah. else. Yeah, and then Chicago sends Butler to to Boston, Boston, and Boston sends the one to Philly. I don't see that happening, and I don't know why you would help facilitate, like I said, a trade that could be absolutely detrimental to your to your setup timeline for when everything is supposed to kick into play. Fair. I don't see it. Fair. All right, so. Let's get to another question. Mo underscore con. I'll tell you what. Why uh, this don't is we... completely unrelated. Never mind. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah. Why don't we Why don't we call it a show for here? We still got some free agent options, but we could talk about those. Most of those are going to be spent on Kyle Lowry anyway. But why don't we get give it a wrap so we could uh, get the show up? It's we're we're running long anyway. We'll we are plenty of we'll have it, we'll have plenty of draft stuff over the next few weeks. But I think that was a good summary of the draft picks, trade potential, and all. Yeah, that. I think you guys both did good. Sh- and I'll tell you what, Russ, if they end up getting Porzingis, you will undoubtedly be 
the first person to have said that, and you will get all of the credit. I can guarantee that. Russ I'm Perry. really not, though, because I, I know that there are other podcasts that have, have thrown that out of speculation in the past, but... Um, yeah, I, I would love to see it. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna if I'm gonna de hinky this whole thing, it's gotta be for Chris Stapps. All right, guys, thank you so much. As always, uh, leave us a five star review on iTunes. If you leave a comment or a question as you've seen, we'll get to it. Uh, hit Kyle up on Twitter at Crossing Broad. He does a good job of kind of filtering through all the questions. Plug your uh, handles and, and, too. Plug and, both of your and handles. And tell me tell me I'm an idiot for everything I say at Russell, Joy on at Joy on Broad. At Joy on Broad, and I am at Adam Lefko. So be please come and join us in the conversation as well. Uh, and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people that find out, the better. Uh, again, we do it Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. They should come out around 7. This one's going to come out a little bit later. Uh, but thank you so much for the support, and we'll be hollering at you next week. Enjoy your weekend.